You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3 FM. Monday afternoon, hope everybody is doing well to start off their work week. And if you're joining us on the line, well, you're doing just that. Lance, how you doing today, buddy? Doing great. How you doing, Noah? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's something new we're trying out today on the show. We are airing live also on Facebook. Go and find us on the various Facebook pages, Radio Alabama Sports, ESPN 106.7, and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Like the page, follow the page. You can also watch the show on those various locations. So once again, you can go and find us on Facebook as well on Radio Alabama Sports, Fox Sports Central Alabama, and on ESPN 106.7. Exciting day today as we are debuting the ability for people to be able to watch us on Facebook. The number to call 334-321-1390 if you want to join into the show. Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on with you today. Just a little bit of a programming note for everybody out there. You may have noticed that Levi, our normal co-host, has not been with us for the last couple of days. Late last week, Thursday night, he had a car wreck. He's currently going through some recovery, but he's doing just fine. He's out there listening right now. And, uh, buddy, if you've tuned in just right now, we miss you, and we're looking forward to having you back soon. But uh, he's going through some recovery right now, and he will be back with us soon. He's doing just fine. Lance, it's time to get our Monday edition of On the Line started off here. It's the second half of spring practice. They're back from taking a week off of practice. Auburn, that is. The second half of it is upon us now. What are your top three items you would like to see once spring practice is over? Up to this point, it seems like spring practice has largely been about operations it's largely been about everybody getting comfortable with each other now it's all about installing new things and really completing some of these competitions through the spring and getting ready for the summer and fall define what you mean by items real quick well uh, things like what do you want to see after eight days completed what are the most important things for this Auburn team to achieve anything that's on your mind What are the top three things that are on your mind as spring practice is getting ready to conclude in two weeks with the A-Day game? Well, a couple of things immediately come to mind, but the the number one thing that I want to see coming after A-Day is I want to see whenever Bo Nix is out there on the field, I want to see some of his mechanical issues, not necessarily fixed 100% perfectly, but I want to see him making progress. Last The last two years we've seen Bo Nix uh taking snaps for the tigers we've seen him have some mechanical issues whether it's throwing off his back foot or or uh, just not putting his weight into the throw not stepping up in the pocket his footwork's been a little clumsy at times and that's expected you know to, to whenever you first year you were breaking in a freshman quarterback but i do want to see heading into his junior year in this offense i want to see those mechanical issues uh, be fixed and i want to see him improve as a pocket passer another thing that i want to look at is Defensive line rotation. You know, Jeremiah Wright went out with an injury. He was probably going to take over for Tyrone Truesdale at that uh, nose tackle position. I want to see what this Auburn team looks like on the defensive line. I want to see the the guys that they put in 
for his place. I want to see how they rotate in this three-man front. It's going to be really interesting for me to see how this 3-4 looks under Derek Mason. And then the third thing I was thinking about is... Man, you're just flying through it right now. Yeah, I I, I came prepared to that. No, I was ready for this. (laughs) The third thing I was thinking about, and this, this is really, really interesting to me, is not necessarily seeing a receiver step up because we've because we've seen the, all these guys at different times, you know, make different plays uh, in a very very limited, I guess, sample size. But Elijah wanna, Canyon bowl right, game, for instance, right? But I want to see somebody step up out there and us be able to clearly say, okay, that's Auburn's number one guy going into next season. Not necessarily going to get all the stats or all the touchdowns or all the yards, but I want to be able to say, okay, that's Auburn's best well-rounded number one option. I doubt we see that. I don't think we will, but I'd like to see it. Sure. That's that's a wish list item. You treated <laughs> yours like a wish list. I treated mine sort of like a to-do list. What does Auburn need to do for me to feel like hey, this team's got a shot to be pretty good next year or be one of the top teams in the SEC next year. I want to talk about that wide receiver spot first before I start going through my list because I actually have some similarities. I also have some some differences. But the wide receiver spot, a big reason why I don't think that that unit will produce a top target after spring, I just don't think they're going to get enough reps and live game situations and I think you need live game situations obviously you only get one live game situation which is a day and is that really live because your quarterbacks are wearing no no tackle jerseys you know I think they need live game situations for that top target to be produced and I I understand that and I don't necessarily think we are going to get that top target I just want to be able to I think it's going to take four or five games of the regular season to possibly get to that point I just want to be able to see these receivers out there on the field together and I want to see who Bo Nix is looking to early and I want to see who looks most comfortable in this Mike Bobo offense and I think I think it's going to be Kobe Hudson I think that's going to be the number one guy that's what the fan base thinks right now moving forward but we're just going to have to get out there and see and I just want to see what the flow looks like for me, I want to go back to what you said about the quarterback position. That was your number one thing on your list, right? Is yours in any right. particular order, or is it just random thoughts? I would say Bo Nix's mechanical issues are probably number one for me. So for me, I will be a little bit more generic about this. At least I was on my list. I want to see something new out of Bo Nix's passing ability. I don't need to see all of his issues fixed. I don't need to see everything just looking sharp and refined because I realize that is unrealistic. That's not going to happen after only having worked with this new coaching staff for a month or a month and a half. But I would like to see something new. I would like to see promise that he is comfortable in this new scheme, that he is comfortable and that he's coachable with this new staff. I would hate to leave spring thinking, that this guy hadn't taken any steps forward going into the summer. I don't think that's a good sign. And maybe something that I would like to see him add would be just be a little bit more accurate. The guy's hovering around 60% right now, actually less than 60% as a career passer at Auburn. I would like to see the guy be a little bit more accurate, have a little bit more pocket awareness, step into his throws. Well, something that I don't want to see anymore is throwing off the back foot think that needs to go away I would I would like to go all of a day without seeing him throw the ball off of his back foot unless he's about to get sacked and it better be going out of bounds not to a defensive back right well I think we're going to see that completion percentage go up in this offense because I feel like Auburn's going to be a little bit more efficient 
with Bo Nix under center. I think it's going to be some of these short, intermediate passing uh, patterns. Of course, Nix has still got to be accurate with the football. I mean, you still got to put it on the money whenever somebody's coming across the field. But I think it's going to be a little bit easier. It's going to be easier for Nix to make reads and make throws. And overall, I just think this offense is going to become more efficient. Now, whether or not he does get rid of those mechanical issues like throwing off his back foot and stuff like that is still up up in the air. And like you said, he's probably not going to get it all down packed just this spring. I mean, it's only just a couple of months of pre- preparation with this new coaching staff. But it's something that I do expect to be fixed moving moving forward. Second thing on my list here, the offensive line needs to create the foundation and the structure of a competent unit. I know 100% that these competitions that these position battles are going to carry into the fall 100 percent, they're going to carry into the fall the offensive line will not be a finished unit they will not name a starting offensive line until probably the week of the first game of the season that's just the tendency for most coaches out there they're going to keep their cards close to the chest they are not going to show anybody their hand until it gets to be game week and they release a depth chart and so I don't believe that the offensive line will be shored up after the spring but I would like to at least see a core a group of guys where I'm like those guys are obviously excelling they've obviously improved during the spring they're showing promise and those guys are going to be immovable from their spots I know the entire offensive line from left to right will not be a completed unit but I would at least like to see some signs that some position battles are being won i would hate to leave spring not having some type of leader at most of these positions on the offensive line right right and i don't think we're necessarily going to get to see a complete unit because of all the injuries auburn has on the line council is a big part of that exactly the what is arguably the most important position on this offensive line left tackle i believe is the position that council plays if i'm not mistaken uh, really, really important. Well, he can play anywhere on the line, but right. he primarily lined up at right guard last year. Really, really important to see this offensive line kind of gel as the months go on heading into fall camp. I don't necessarily think we are going to see a set unit. Like you said, we're probably not going to see it until the first week uh, or the first game of the season. But it is really, really important for these guys to kind of get some chemistry together moving forward because that unit last year, I, I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't say atrocious, but they, they were not as good as they could have been. The last thing I'm going to say is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. I think that the defense should far and away look like the superior unit after a day. Now that's not going to leave anyone happy because everybody, for the most part, favors offense. They like to see an offense that looks good Auburn has made offense look extremely difficult they've made it look harder than it should be I say that about some teams out there that where it's clear that they have athletes they have good players on the offensive side of the ball but for whatever reason it may be whether it be play calling or scheme it obviously was those two things with Gus Malzahn for some reason they make offense more difficult on themselves than they need to it's kind of like reinventing the wheel I think that the defense should look superior in most categories compared to the offense after we leave spring a big part of that is the offense is going to be pretty bland they're not going to install a ton of things throughout the spring it also takes longer for the offense to fire on all cylinders so if I'm expected to believe that the defense is truly rebounding this year from what was a disappointing year last season they should far and above be the superior unit especially with the level of experience on that side of the ball they're vastly more experienced than the offense all of their leaders are back 
all of at every level of the defense they have a substantial amount of numbers returning every single level defensive line linebacker and defensive back so there's no reason in my mind that this that this defense shouldn't be further along than the offense at this point on the offensive side of the ball you're still trying to figure out what your offensive line looks like you've lost several running backs to the transfer portal of course you're starting running back tank bigsby is coming back but you really don't know who your number two guy is going to be whether it's sean shivers or why am i devin barrett there you go i was about to forget his name i was like devin barrett and then you're missing your fourth running back in that room because he's not on campus yet jarquez hunter's still not on the planes because he's in high school still the only position group that you really return a whole lot at is the quarterback spot because Bo Nix is one of like four or five quarterbacks in the SEC that returned this upcoming year. And then the wide receiver group lost everyone to the draft. So the offense is lacking a lot of experience at multiple levels. The defense is not. The defense is returning a lot of guys and a lot of talent at that, a lot of raw talent and some of it refined talent. I would say at the defensive back and the linebacker positions, a lot of it has already developed. Now the defensive line is pretty raw, but the linebackers and the defensive backs are pretty refined so this should be a situation where Derek Mason walks in and as he's put it a smorgasbord of talent on that side of the football he walks in sees all of that and it's kind of plug and play with whatever he wants to do scheme wise and they should be able to do a lot of damage this year so I think just based off of the nature of spring and that you're waiting to install a lot of things until you're closer to the regular season a lot of things are going to be basic on that offensive side of the ball you got a lot of young guys they should be much further behind the defense in terms of development so I think the defense should look superior in every way and if they don't I'm kind of concerned about that side of the football going into next year I agree with you and there are some numbers that I want to point out here real quick just go for it I love numbers returning production is one of my favorite statistics to look at whenever we're talking about you know looking forward to next season and what the some teams are capable of doing it's one of the reasons why I was so low on LSU like a lot of other people last season is like well they were dead last in returning production there's no way they and then the returning production that was coming back said peace i'm out i'm not playing with these guys and so there was like there's no way they finished better than five and five auburn this year something that gus malzahn was very good at doing at auburn was keeping a lot of returning production on both sides of the football auburn 54th in the country in returning production this season at 73 percent of their production coming back that's 73 percent on the offense and 72 percent on the defense something i do want to point out though is talking about what's returning on this offense the offensive line played what uh, played and they they got time and experience but they didn't perform bo nix has time and experience but he didn't perform so what's coming back on the offense that's returning didn't perform well on the defensive side of the ball you can argue well statistically they didn't perform well either but whenever you're talking as about, a team as i a don't team, but, but individually there's talent yeah. on that defense the secondary should be really really good the linebackers may be one of the top five units in the country top three maybe with owen papo zacobo mclean and all those other guys so it's not like the defensive bags weren't getting turnovers either so i think there's a lot to like about that side of the football and they should dominate more of on the line will dominate your monday morning here on espn 106.7 you are on the line with noah gardner and levi fitzwater we'll be right back You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Find Jaws and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Intern Jaws. You're still searching for a new handle. I decided I don't like employee Jaws, and every time I go on Twitter, I see it, and I think, man, I got to come up with something cool, something creative, and just nothing comes to mind. If anybody has an idea, let me know. 
call. Is Jaws taken? It is taken. Darn. Just straight up. (laughs) Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Phone lines are open. Coming up in our next segment in about 11 minutes at 2.30, we're going to have Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on the line with us. We'll get all the latest on Alabama football in their spring practice as well as we continue the college football conversation here on On the Line. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Keeping on the topic of college football, Georgia adds Tyke Smith to its secondary. This was an Auburn target, and Auburn was linked closely to West Virginia transfer defensive back Tyke Smith, who is now electing to join the rival across the border east of Auburn, not that far, three hours away, headed to Athens. What does this do for the Bulldogs' defense? Well, just looking at their roster and, again, talking about returning production and what they do have coming back on this defense, they do return both their starting safeties in Chris Smith and Lewis Klein. Um, But overall, on that defensive side of the ball, not doing so hot. Uh, 92nd in returning production in the country, 39% on defense. That's 126th in the country out of 129 teams. So Georgia is third worst in the country in returning production on the defensive side of the ball. I don't really know if this does a whole lot for their secondary. Again, Tyke Smith, if I'm not mistaken, is a safety. So to have two of your starting, starting safeties returning, the only two players in your secondary returning, to bring on Tyke Smith, I don't really know what he's going to be able to do, considering he plays the same position. So I don't really know if this is a huge loss for Auburn necessarily as well because of how much talent they have at the secondary. It would have been a huge boost, or it would have been a boost for sure, but I don't know if it necessarily hurts them significantly. would have been nice to have two West Virginia quarterback and cornerback transfers uh, on your team. But I don't know what he would have been able to do at Auburn. I don't know what he would, would have been able to do at Auburn either with guys like Smoke Monday returning at safety. So I just I don't see this as a necessarily a huge win or loss for either program. Do you have a lot of statistics on Georgia returning production? Uh, just the three. So Georgia is 92nd overall in the country. Or, yeah, in the country, 62% overall. They return 84% of their production on offense that's 20th nationally and then like I said earlier 126 in the country on defense 39 percent returning and then I do have a list of their returning starters as well right here man you did your homework go for it bro I uh I came prepared today so just looking at that's what happens when I get you the rundown about an hour so looking at their offense they do bring back their quarterback JT Daniels then they bring back guys like Zamir White and then their receiver room is going to be very very talented this season even with George Pickens out you're a lot higher up on that group than I am without George Pickens I think they're going to perform I think guys like Jermaine Burton Darnell Washington are going to play well they bring back another I believe he was more of a blocking tight end and John Fitzpatrick something about that scheme though makes wide receivers and quarterbacks a lot worse than what their star rating was when they came out of high school I understand that I understand that I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that and then on the defensive side of the ball by the way three offensive linemen returning for Georgia and then on the defensive side of the ball not a whole lot coming back. They bring back their nose guard and Jordan Davis, who was semi-productive last season, just 16 tackles and a sack, and that was about it. Uh, Devontae Wyatt at defensive tackle. Uh, Nakobe Dean, their inside linebacker, uh, played 76% of the defensive snaps for Georgia last season, led the team with 71 tackles. 
uh, and then their two safeties. So not a whole lot of production on the defensive side of the ball at all, but they do bring back some offensive talent. And even without George Pickens, we've talked about this before here on the show, I think this offense is going to play well in year two of JT Daniels. On the defensive side of the ball, top safeties Richard LeCount and Mark Webb headed to the NFL draft, so that leaves some room open for Tyke Smith to come and do some work for the Georgia defense. Tyreek Stevenson also transferred to Miami, so they lose three safeties there. They also lose three cornerbacks, Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes, and DJ Daniel, all headed to the NFL draft. So when you total it up there and six defensive backs leave the room, there's space for this guy, right? And couple that with the fact that they gave up almost 250 yards passing per game last season. These guys That's absurd. These guys didn't produce when they were on the field, and now they're gone. So Tyke Smith may be able to find a position on this defense, but I don't know if they're necessarily going to be better because of it because they lost so many other guys that didn't play well last season. They're going to be better than they are without him. That is true. That is true. This feels like, and you were talking to me off air about this, you had a you had a hunch that he was going to end up at Georgia. So yesterday before it was announced, I was scrolling through Instagram and some Auburn Instagram accounts, just fan pages, some posts caught my eye talking about how last Friday, you know, Tyke Smith had a, had a Zoom meeting with Auburn and apparently had it, it had gone very well. And so I was sitting there thinking, I was like, oh, well, you know, watch him go somewhere like Georgia. Georgia was the only school that I thought of. I knew nothing else about Tyke Smith's recruitment. <laughs> other than he was linked to Auburn. Other than that, he was linked to Auburn. I was like, watch him go to somewhere like Georgia or somewhere else in the SEC, and it's just going to it's just gonna stink. And sure enough, Here it that's is. exactly what happened. So, I felt that way, too. I don't know if I thought about it as deeply as you did or had a hunch or disturbance in the force that Tyke Smith was going to end up in Athens. But hindsight now... I'm like, yeah, this this seems right. Georgia brings in talented defensive backs all the time. I don't I, I'm shocked at those numbers. I didn't realize that Georgia was that poor against the pass last year on defense. Because Georgia, I feel like, and they're not DBU like LSU or Alabama or Ohio State. They're not consistently sending guys to the NFL that end up being stars. But I feel like Georgia at least under Kirby Smart, especially considering Kirby Smart's position that he played when he was in college football as a player, I feel like that would be a dominant unit at Georgia, and it's been pretty difficult for Auburn to break past over the last couple of years. I'm shocked to find out that it was that bad last year. Well, something that that I've I've listened to guys like Saturday Down South talk about, and I've noticed myself whenever I'm watching Georgia, is that they're pretty good in space whenever they're covering these defensive backs. It's just whenever somebody catches, or these receivers rather, it's just whenever somebody catches a pass, they have a really hard time tackling. Richard LeCount was one of those guys that just did not know how to tackle, but he could play zone and man pretty well outside of that. And so when they put Auburn receivers last year in a straight jacket, right, right. Once again, scheme did not help, but right. they put Auburn receivers in a straight jacket. That's exactly what I was about to say is so with teams like Auburn you know they aren't they don't necessarily scheme receivers to get open so you're gonna have a really hard time completing passes and getting those yards after the catch against this Georgia team if you can't complete a pass in the first place so that's the reason why Auburn struggled but outside of that you know to give up 250 yards a game when like you said whenever your coach played that position in college it's really surprising you think you'd be able to have not only just a position coach in that secondary but a head coach to be able to give tips and and, and help these these uh defensive backs actually perform you think they'd be able to do that, but that, that was not the case last year. And so my concern, even with Tyke Smith coming this season, is like, well, 
how good is this Georgia defense going to be? Can they, if they can't get home because they don't really bring, bring a, lot, a lot of production on the line back, if they can't get home, are they just going to be able? To, are they just going to be left out to dry? Move a state over to Clemson. They just had their spring game. Believe it or not, they've wrapped up spring practice. Sting running the board right now was shocked, but they did. I was shocked as well when I was searching through headlines, wondering, well, what to talk about today? I saw Clemson had their spring game and wrapped it up. And DJ Uyagalalele, the next starter for the Clemson Tigers, Man, believe it or that. not, I hope I did. That's I how they were it. pronouncing it on NBC when they were playing Notre Dame last year. So I hope I did. DJ Uyagalalele went 20 for 28 for 174 yards and a touchdown, but his team lost the spring game 14 to 13. Surprised to by the that. backups. I was surprised by that, that also had their starter at quarterback go down with injury man oh man so clemson is actually they're down a quarterback they've got some serious quarterback issues heading into this next season if uh if dj does not perform well i'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name here we go i believe it's dj ui aga lalele ui aga lalele yes all right sweet all right anyway i was surprised by that and then we need a hot key of gus johnson saying yes yes (laughs) um until I looked at Clemson's returning production, my, my handy little returning production sheet over here, 46% on offense. That's 118th in the country. So whenever you're thinking about, oh my goodness, DJ played well, but the, the entire offense just kind of stalled and they lost the game to the backups. It's like, well, there's not really a lot of experience there to begin with. So Question, is Justin Ross included on that sheet? Because I, he was no production last year, but this year he's back. I don't. I don't believe I would say no it doesn't say so I I would just assume not not but then you look on the defensive side of the ball 92% of their production returns that's third in the country so you have an offense without and I felt like their defense was kind of underwhelming at times last year right not like the ones before it and a big part of that was because they lost so many great defensive linemen from two years ago right so I could see it when you're talking about experience in a spring game I feel like that kind of matters so you see the offense inexperienced probably not going to perform well outside of DJ and then you have the defense that does have experience is probably going to dominate practice considering these two sides of the ball know each other well and they know each other's schemes and they play against each other every single day yeah so after on the surface it seems like Clemson maybe should be hitting the panic button but you know all they need is just time and you know it's still Clemson they still got very talented players on their roster so it's just it's just a matter of time before they get things sorted out later on in the show we'll talk about clemson again and see if anybody in the acc maybe could overtake them because i think there's potential for a down year for clemson this upcoming season because of that offense but we got jeremy law of radio alabama sports joining us on the other side of this break here on the phone lines we'll be back in just a moment stay on the line more of the show when we come back You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. And as promised, joining us on our Monday, we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on the line with us. Jeremy, how are you doing today, my man? Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm doing well. Thanks uh, for having me on. It's a week later since Alabama got bounced from the tournament. Are you doing any better? 
No, I think it got worse when UCLA took uh, Gonzaga to overtime. I'm sitting there thinking, I mean, if, we, if if Alabama beats UCLA, I mean, if they can shoot the free throw a little bit better, they might be sitting in a national title game. I mean, that's not that far-fetched. Now, I think the UCLA loss looks way better, and it's more promising than he thought it was. But, I mean, Alabama could have gone toe-to-toe to, with Gonzaga, and I think a lot of Alabama fans might um, they might feel – a little worse about how well UCLA was able to fare down the stretch than uh, than they originally did. So just depends on how you look at it, but it should be a good one tonight. I mean, the top two seeds in the tournament uh, get to battle it out. I still like the Zags in this one. Why is everybody saying, I just want to ask you guys before we start, why is everybody saying that Gonzaga is the one that's beatable, beat, uh, beatable? You know, Baylor didn't even win their conference. You know, I feel like Baylor is still much more beatable than Gonzaga. That's fair. I'm... Uh... I'm torn tonight, and a big part of why I'm torn tonight is because Gonzaga has looked so beatable over their last couple of games. Now, they started out the tournament hot. They looked like the best team in the tournament, and maybe it is just this game against UCLA that's lingering in my mind and its recency bias, but I didn't expect UCLA to play such a close game against Gonzaga. Maybe UCLA just came into their own and all of a sudden became this top 10 team because I know people like John Rothstein are saying if a lot of these guys come back this UCLA team could be top 10 next year which I'm also equally having a hard time seeing and envisioning because I wonder if UCLA just got high kind of like Auburn baseball went to Omaha everybody thought that they were all of a sudden a top 10 program in college baseball that's not how that works sometimes teams just get hot so I'm having a hard time reconciling all of those things going into this title game tonight but then I see Baylor and I see how well they're shooting the basketball over the last couple of games and how they annihilated Houston that makes me uncomfortable because I think if I think if Baylor comes into this ball game and shoots lights out knocks down the three-point shot I think Gonzaga could still be looking for their first national championship after the season. Yeah, I agree with that, but I've also seen Houston get down big in the tournament, and they just weren't able to claw their way out of that one versus Baylor, just a, a much better team. But, I mean, I have proof on paper that Baylor is beatable. I don't have any proof on paper right now that Gonzaga's going to lose a game, man. Timmy and, uh, I mean, Mark Few, I mean, Dude, they got guys like just signing it. Like I, I just feel like if Gonzaga sends you a letter, an offer right now, you don't even go visit. You just commit and you go, and you're going to have an, at least an elite eight run in your back pocket. I, I, I still like the Zags tonight. Is that who you had winning your bracket? <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I did one Alabama bracket because I'm such a gump, but I did one like real bracket, and I had I had Gonzaga winning it all. So. And, uh, and I think they'll stick to it. And that's same for me. Most people were giving me hatred. And saying, "Oh, you how original! You think Gonzaga's going to win?" It's like, man, I think they're the best team. I think they're the best team in the country. And these two squads have been number one and number two in the AP poll consistently all year long. And now, and they were supposed to play each other in December. And guess where they were supposed to play each other? And Banker's Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. And that game got canceled. And now we finally get to see who the best team in college basketball is. Back in January, I said this was going to be, there was a collision course for these two teams in college basketball. They were by far the best. They were going to meet in the title game. And now we get to see it. But let's switch gears here and let's talk Alabama football, spring practice. What's the latest you're hearing a week later now since we talked to you about uh, Alabama last week? Yeah, no, this week I won't go on a rant. I'm I'm ready to talk about football now. I'm putting (laughs) basketball behind me ready to talk about football. I mean, it is relevant now. They've got a spring scrimmage in the books, and I think uh, the number one thing you hear is Bryce Young threw four or five touchdowns 
um, Saturday, and uh, two of those were probably 70-plus yards. The guy's on the money. He has a grasp of this offense. It's going to be the same type of offense with a few more um, Bill O'Brien wrinkles. Um, this is a guy who had a top offense most of the time while he was the head coach in the NFL. He doesn't have to worry about any of the other stuff. He just has to coach one of the best quarterbacks to come out of high school in the last 20 years in Bryce Young, some of the best weapons to come out of high school um, as a group. I mean, this this group of receivers that just came in rivals Devontae, Jerry, Henry. I mean, you got Mechie back. You have X there. You're going to get these young guys on campus. The offensive line will get back to where it needs to be with Ekior, Owens, Evan Neal. You have veteran running backs. You have Keelan Robinson back. You're going to have Kamar Wheaton. I mean, like, where is the weak spot? And I just think when you put that all together, this is one of those things where um, Alabama's Ferrari is already the, – the tires are rotated and balanced. It's on the interstate. It's going 100 miles an hour. And if you're Bill O'Brien, you just have to keep your hand steady on the steering wheel and keep your foot on the gas, and there's nothing that's going to stop it, man. It, 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 it's tough for me to see this Alabama team not making – the not winning the SEC and not making the college football playoff. It, the, the amount of weapons are just insane. And you're not even talking about everything they brought back on defense. Bryce Young, speaking of the quarterback, we did some Heisman odds on last week's show, whether it be, I believe it was Thursday, we were going through some Heisman odds, and Bryce Young, of course, according to Vegas and some books, they do have Bryce Young up there on the list as far as top three or top four odds to win the Heisman next year. Do you see him making it to you to New York? I'm not going to say winning it, but do you see him making it to New York? Well, if he's the quarterback of Alabama and he has a, a close to as good of a season as Mac Jones does, and they're in the national championship picture, which if they're not, it's going to be a huge disappointment because you look across, I mean, Georgia's got wide receiver problems now. What's Dan Mullen going to do at Florida? I mean, there's really no competition from the other side of the division. I mean, I, I just don't see Kirby Smart. Is he going to be able to beat Nick Saban? If Alabama makes it out of the West, you feel like they win the SEC, and then you're sitting there like, I mean, obviously the quarterback from Alabama in that situation, with as much as they throw the ball now, with it as set up as this offense is for the quarterback to have really good numbers, it's just really hard for me to, to imagine Bryce Young in that scenario not being in New York. I mean, you had a year this year where Devontae won it. If Devontae Smith's not winning it, Mac Jones is winning it. If he's not winning it, I mean, Najee Harris still has a chance. So it's going to be really hard for me to see – Bryce Young not being in New York and potential, at least potentially lifting the Heisman Trophy if Alabama is as good as advertised. Let's talk about the guys that he's going to be thrown to. We're speaking with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports about Alabama spring football in the upcoming year. Following this astronomical offensive season, Alabama's virtually, they, they have a new group at wide receiver. Who do you believe will be the primary target now that Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell have moved on to the NFL? Well, I mean, you have X out there who's going to be really good. I I mean, it's just hard for him to get on the field when you're dealing with a Heisman Trophy winner and two uh, first-round draft picks, probably two, first 15, um, two of the first 15 picks off the board, depending on where a lot of these wide receivers go and Devontae and Jalen Waddle. But John Mechie's still Mr. Reliable. doesn't have the speed of those two guys, but, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's ran a lot of routes, who's called some passes from Bryce Young. Uh, and then Slade Bolden is a, a, a Mr. Reliable, a Julian Edelman-type guy. He's not, he's not going to beat you deep, but you just feel like he's one of those guys that is, is always open across the middle when he's on the field scored his touch, first touchdown of his career versus Ohio State. I mean, you have the tight end Billingsley. I mean, 
there's a lot of options for Bryce Young to be throwing the ball to, and you and didn't even mention a Jai Hall to Corey Brooks, Christian Leary, JoJo Earl for the top 70 receivers um, in the country, according to almost every recruiting site. They're all on campus. I mean, who does he not have to throw to? I mean, he, he's almost throwing to every receiver in the ESPN Top 100 last year, potentially. Just think about that. That's why it's going to be so hard for Bryce Young to not keep this offense moving at a pace similar to what Steve Sarkeesian and Mac Jones and, and Najee Harris and Devontae Smith had this thing rolling at last year. Which side of the ball right now do you think is further along the offense or the defense? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's gonna it's tough for Alabama's defense to stop Alabama's offense too, and I think that should probably be what's scary for a lot of people because while Alabama's losing Pastor Tan, they're losing Dylan Moses, who played all last year hurt, Jalen Moody, Des Moines Kennedy, um, uh, Chris Allen, uh, Will Anderson, Drew Sanders, DJ Dell, Phil Mathis, Josh Joe, Malachi Moore, Jordan Battle, Kool Aid McKinstry. I mean, the the list goes on and on. I mean, how many more names do I need to throw out there? Uh, the defense is going to be just fine. And Nick Saban had the clip a week or two ago saying, if you're thinking you're going to come out here, run three yards in a cloud of dust, and squeak out a game 21-17, to 17, you're going to be Will Muschamp and you can't find a job anywhere <laughs> because that's just not how college football works anymore. Um, you're going to give up 35 points. I was in the gym a minute ago with the guy. We were talking, like, look, Alabama's going to give up 31 points to Ole Miss. It's just, I mean, that's just going to happen. You're going to have to score points, and if Alabama's defense can give up 20 points or less per game, and if, if they're at that average, they're, they're going to be playing for a national title. I mean, this defense doesn't have to be great, but I think in, in standards of 2021, this is going to be a great defense with veteran leadership. Chris Harris is going to probably win the buckets. He's probably the best linebacker, one of the best linebackers in the country, maybe one of the best, probably one of the best in the SEC, if not the best returning um, linebacker to call this defense. I mean, Alabama is absolutely stacked. And then let's not forget about Will Riker, the guy who who didn't miss a field goal last year. You have old reliable back there, his right leg. He's perfect. Uh, if you're if you're Bill O'Brien and and you can mess this offense up, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because it feels like this thing should be humming. And Pete Golding, um, you feel like if Nick Saban continues to have confidence in him, maybe the Bama fan base, including me, should shut up and just let the guy coach because he did a pretty dang good job post Ole Miss last year of getting this team to win a national title yeah I was about to mention that Uh, you and a lot of other Alabama fans lost a lot of hair by virtue of you guys pulling it out during that Ole Miss game going into year three where do you think this defense is at in terms of a schedule when you're talking about someone who's been on the job for three years like is this defense as far along or as in good of a place as it should be considering he's been there for three years now what are your thoughts uh, well, I thought they drastically improved last year, right? And they didn't have as many injuries on defense, which I think is a um, a Scott Cochran effect. I think the the strength and conditioning added um, the improvements in that area, added a little more depth throughout the season to defense because there's not a lot of guys hurt and banged up that couldn't play. But, I mean, are you better at your job three, um, now than you were three years ago? No, I'd say yes. Thank you. I mean, I'd, I'd, like, to think, I'd like to think I am too, and I think – Pete Golding brings some stability to this position. It's going to be a couple more years before he gets a, probably a head coaching offer after working under Nick Saban. I mean, I think this defense is getting better. He's able to install his system, which is also Nick Saban's system. Um, and I think it's some, sometimes you just have to realize 
that you're going to give up points. When Kyle Trask is throwing to Kyle Pitt and Tony, you're going to give up points. And that's just simple. There's so many things, there's only so many things that you can do on defense to stop the other guys. And the offense has the upper hand every single play. And if you can get three or four stops a game in some of those games, that's as many as you're going to get. And your offense is going to have to find a way to win it. And I, and I like Bryce Young and the boys to be able to, to, to do that more times than not. Jeremy, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today here on On the Line. Tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. I am J underscore law. Find me on Twitter right there. I'd appreciate your follow. Noah, thanks for having me on today. Appreciate it, Jeremy. That was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on the line with us. And if you're an Alabama fan, he is a great follow because he will tweet about anything and everything under the sun in Alabama athletics and with good humor and good analysis as well. So Jeremy Law, a good follow there. Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports joining us on the line. We wrap up our number one on the other side of this break. Stay with us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Also, you can watch the show. First time we've done that. And you can find it on Facebook. You can watch the show on Facebook and listen, of course, on ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central Alabama, and Radio Alabama Sports Facebook pages. That's how you can find us digitally as well. Also, ESPNAU.com if you're listening to the stream out there, as well as FoxSports983.com. We're all over the place. We're on air, online, and on the go. Before we wrap up our number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Monday means music on network television. American Idol contestants are performing for their last shot at making it to the live shows. Catch that at 7 on ABC. Also at 7, but on NBC, the voice is in the battle rounds as artists go head-to-head in hopes of advancing in the competition. Movie selection for tonight, Shrek 1 and Shrek 2 is on Freeform starting at 5.50. In live sports, the NCAA tournament has reached the pinnacle tonight with the national championship game. Two one-seats collide for the first time since 2000. 2017, Baylor and Gonzaga battle it out to decide who's the best with tip-off at 820 on CBS. Get warmed up with some NBA action on NBA TV with the battle for New York. It's the Knicks versus the Nets on at 6. If you'd rather watch baseball, there are two games on ESPN. At 610, AL East rivals meet for their first series of the season. It's the Rays and the Red Sox at 910. The White Sox and the Mariners will close out tonight. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Some college basketball news out there as we wrap up the first hour of On the Line. I saw this out on 24-7 Sports from Inside Carolina, a story written by Greg Barnes here, breaking UNC Board of Trustees holding emergency meeting to approve Hubert Davis. The Tar Heels are going to keep it inside the family, it appears. They're going to promote longtime assistant Hubert Davis and former North Carolina player to head coach. How do you feel about this, Jaws? Because we weren't super high up, but Hubert Davis was the lead candidate, according to odds makers out there. He's pretty much even everywhere. And so what are your thoughts on this? Well, I'm not necessarily mad at it. And we were talking about this just a few days ago, talking about the potential candidates and how I didn't necessarily agree with sports lines list. But now we're kind of speculating, you know, would would some of these guys on that list have considered this job that maybe would have been better fits for this program? Maybe, probably, 
who knows now that Hubert Davis has been Hubert Davis has been hired. I'm not mad at the hire. It's not necessarily like a ooh flashy hire, or it's it's not it's not I'm it's not something that I would be upset with. So I'm just kind of in the middle. It's just like, eh, well, let's see how he performs. I'm not feeling necessarily either way. I'm not mad at it. Uh, I'm not really fired up about it. I think it's a solid hire. Here's the concern. He's never been a head coach before. And now you're running one of the most illustrious programs in all of college basketball. But he should know what that means because he played in the program and he's been underneath Roy Williams for nine years So I know he understands the expectations. I know he understands the levity of the situation he's walking into and the responsibility of the situation that he's walking into being the head coach at North Carolina. With all that being said, though, there's one thing to understand all that and to have been an assistant, and then there's another thing to be ready to actually take the reins, right? And obviously, and and I don't know, maybe Roy Williams, maybe Roy Williams recommended him to the position we don't know that we don't know that for sure but Larry Brown last week was saying that Roy Williams should have a heavy hand or the entire hand in picking out his his successor well I don't know if that's occurred but I would imagine he probably recommended it on his way out that Huber Davis should move up this isn't a splash hire it could work out he could end up becoming one of the next great head coaches in all of college basketball history because he's at one of the best programs in all of college basketball history they hired someone that understands North Carolina understands the responsibility of being at North Carolina that's a big reason why they wanted to keep it in the family but on the flip side of this the concern like I said that he's never been a head coach before this isn't a splash hire he's 50 years old so you're kind of in the at the midway point of a head coaching career typically at 50 years old not saying anything about longevity as a head coach but He's just now getting head coaching experience. It's not a splash hire. I don't want to say that it's underwhelming, but if North Carolina had opted to take this outside of the family, once again, you run into the concern that maybe they don't understand the responsibility of being the head coach at North Carolina, but you possibly could entice someone with the head coaching resume of a Brad Stevens or a Jay Wright if you were to go out there proven winners but they elected to keep it inside, and I think there's a risk associated with that. Right, I agree. And lo- looking at the list that Sportsline put out, you know, Brad Stevens was actually at the bottom of that list. Jay Wright somewhere in the middle, and we were talking about this off air. It's like those guys have so much head coaching experience, and they could have performed well at North Carolina, but something that I think the program was thinking about whenever they made this decision, I firmly believe that even though I disagree with uh, with Larry Brown saying that uh, w- uh, William should have a hand in the coaching hire. Well, he said th- he should pick it. It's more than just it. having a hand. I think he I think he did definitely recommend Davis to the program. I think that definitely happened. And then the flip side of that, it's like, well, he may not have head coaching experience, but he's 50 years old and he has North Carolina experience. And it's what you're saying. It's like, well, this guy knows the ins and outs of this uh, basketball program. He should be able to handle it. So I don't necessarily feel like this is a bad hire. I think North Carolina had potential to hire hire some better candidates maybe if they had reached out to them would they have considered it I believe so but I'm not angry at this hire and I think he has the qualifications to run the program because he's been in the program for so long he played for Dean Smith during his time at North Carolina from 1988 to 1992 he's walking into a big moment in North Carolina basketball history because he's going to be charged 
with helping get this team back to the national ranks of college basketball not that they've left but they have had a pair of underwhelming seasons compared to North Carolina standards so he's got a big task in front of him we've got hour number two of on the line coming up in front of you in just a few moments here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama you are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Don't you just love it when news breaks at the top of the hour, right when you're about to come on and discuss something pertinent that you had prepared for, (laughs) and then news breaks? We'll get to that in just a moment. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl here with you for hour number two of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Also on Facebook, you can watch the show and listen digitally on Facebook on ESPN 106.7. Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports Facebook pages. So we're excited to have expanded there for people to be able to interact and see the show. Call in at 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open. We want to hear from you. Any thoughts that you've got, we want to hear from you. Once again, 334-321-1390. The news of which I speak that breaks is Ian Rappaport. Some NFL news. So... I think it's somewhat pertinent because I think there are some Panthers fans still around here, despite the fact that Cam Newton migrated north. The Panthers have traded for Jets quarterback Sam Darnold, Ian Rappaport tweets two minutes ago. Big head nod out there to Levi Fitzwater for making us aware of that. Appreciate you, buddy. The hashtag Jets are receiving a sixth rounder this year and a second and fourth rounder in 2022. So pretty good draft real estate coming to New York. Guys... Is this the right move? No. <laughs> no, it's not. No, I don't believe it is. Now, I will so say So you're not this. in the camp that believes that Sam Darnold... You're, you're not in the camp that believes that Sam Darnold still has some tread left on his tires. I, I feel weird saying that considering he's so young, but I'm in the camp that believes he's busted as well. Are you in that camp? So I am in the camp that believes that he does have a little bit of potential, but I don't think he's going to be able to consistently play well as a starting quarterback in the NFL. So I don't think he's necessarily a bust. I just think he's a low tier I'm also not sure that Carolina has the weapons around no. him to make him successful or more successful than the Jets did exactly so that's why I'm not a fan of this move because I don't think he's necessarily being put in a better position so he's not going to improve I don't see this guy as an NFL starting quarterback Ugh. <laughs> it's just too so do you see him as the next McCown brother yes I actually that, that's very very accurate that's exactly how I view Darnold he's just like one he definitely of those guys should have- be in the league for a long time whether it is in a backup role but there are this he's a pretty polar he's a pretty polarizing quarterback in the NFL. People have loved to talk about him this year specifically because free agency was supposed to be wild. It didn't end up being wild. And only a couple of quarterbacks moved locations. And then you're thinking trades are going to become more and more imminent and prominent as we get closer to the NFL draft. And now here we've got one. But people have been talking about Darnold to the Patriots and to other locations, but now we see he goes to a different team 
by the nickname of the Panthers. He goes south to Carolina. I think that the draft real estate that the Panthers are missing out on here, they they must believe that Sam Darnold is the truth, that this guy is going to end up turning their franchise around, that this guy has got the tools to be a franchise quarterback, which once again, I've made I've made the note that I don't believe he is capable of being a long-term top half of the league quarterback I just don't think that we've seen that and I wonder if the Jets have ruined them and I don't trust the Panthers to be able to make the most out of the situation around a quarterback either because they really didn't do that well for Teddy Bridgewater or Cam Newton before that I mean think about the last time that I mean Cam had a couple of good years with with Carolina or, or, or many good years with Carolina but they really ran him out of town and so I'm wondering now that you're trading all of this draft capital away, which your franchise is not going to fold on a sixth rounder, and it probably won't fold on a fourth rounder, but a second rounder could really help the Panthers cause out right now as they're in a rebuilding period in their franchise history. Yeah, it's a really confusing move by Carolina. I don't really understand it just based off of what I've seen from Darnold and the Jets. I mean, if you just look at it on paper and you look at these guy, this guy's numbers from the past couple of years, it's like if you're the Panthers, how could you draft this guy? I mean, you must see some serious potential uh, in, in Darnold. I don't, I, I'm just very, very confused by the move. Like you mentioned, I wouldn't have traded a second and a fourth for Darnold. I think having a second rounder would be crucial moving forward for this Panthers organization that is trying to rebuild under Matt Rule. Uh, like also you mentioned earlier, I don't necessarily think he has the pieces or the weapons to, to throw to that will put him in a better position uh, than he, he was with the Jets. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him uh, go somewhere in a backup role, we're talking about this just a minute ago. I think he he would serve well in that in that role. Maybe going back up Cam Newton, like you said, with the Patriots, uh, that probably would have been a better move. Well, the whole link, the the whole linking him to the Patriots was before the Patriots resigned Cam Newton. Right. I still think it would be a good idea for him to trade to somewhere like there and be and be a backup to to a, a decent NFL quarterback. And if somebody like Cam, who is very injury prone, goes down, then maybe he'll get a shot in a really good organization. Um, but you know, this also means that the Panthers, who have been suitors for Deshaun Watson, that they've now bowed out of that race. So the question is, is where is Deshaun going? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? And he's dealing with a lot of things right now in the NFL. A lot of things. Yep. Twenty plus civil lawsuits against him, and that probably is affecting the free agency and trade market right now in the Mm -hmm. nfl because teams don't know how to approach that situation while they're waiting for things to unfold in the various investigations surrounding deshaun watson so the panthers decided hey let's just go ahead and get somebody else that we believe in it may have not have been their first option but they must believe in sam darnold if they're going to send those picks out to the jets but for the jets right it's good news for them because they need the draft picks right now right when you're talking about rebuilding you're talking about carolina as well this it feels like it kind of hinders that looking at the jets they're setting themselves up i mean obviously they're going to draft somebody like zach wilson at number three and then moving forward for next season if they're going to continue to try and get this rebuild going they've now got an extra second fourth and, and sixth round pick uh, to go along with it so this was a very very good trade by the Jets organization really surprised that they uh, made what looks like a competent move but we'll just have to see but this does shake up the quarterback order in in, in a way I feel like 
for the the draft this season now that Darnold is gone because another team didn't take him and just just with with trades and everything well, and all these different draft draft picks shuffling around this may end up not being a bad deal for the Panthers it only ends up being a bad deal for the Panthers if Sam Darnold doesn't work out which I don't think he will but if Sam Darnold works out essentially what the Panthers have done here according to Ian Rappaport which is where we're getting a lot of this information because his original tweet sources the hashtag Panthers have traded for hashtag Jets quarterback Sam Darnold saying that the hashtag Jets are receiving a sixth rounder this year and a second and a fourth rounder in 2022 the Panthers we're getting a little bit of a a glimpse and an insight to how the Panthers view their situation at the moment the Panthers must feel like well if we could get a good quarterback in here draft pretty well this year do a little bit in free agency we're going to be ready to try and get back to the playoffs and they probably see opportunity in their own division to be the second best team in their division obviously the reigning Super Bowl champions the Tampa Bay Buccaneers reside in the NFC South so they are going to be the presumable favorite to win the NFC South this upcoming year but we know that the Saints are having to replace Drew Brees we know they've been having to shuffle things around because their cap hit was huge this year well over the cap limit and they've had to do some shifting around and they've done wonders they've they've worked magic magic tricks and their salary cap room to be able to have some weapons come back for them this year even though they are going to be a shell of what they've been over the over the last couple of seasons they still have Jameis Winston coming back and if Jameis Winston ends up being a solid quarterback for them yeah I thought he was a solid quarterback in Tampa Bay if he could eliminate half of his interceptions he's a solid quarterback I think the Saints are going to be just fine and probably still finish ahead of the Panthers in the division I don't think this moves the the needle for me but what I'm saying is the Panthers obviously view themselves that they are closer to being back in the playoffs than maybe we view them because they are trading their second and fourth rounders next season not this season so the Panthers still hold on to their eighth overall pick where a lot of mock drafts have them drafting Trey Lance well now they don't have to draft quarterback in the first round now they can draft a skill position player an offensive lineman like Panay Sewell if he were to drop that far in the first round they can get someone that makes them better around Sam Darnold so they obviously view themselves as a quarterback and a few pieces away from making it back to the playoffs and this was the way that they were going to achieve that I just don't and I understand I'm not an NFL GM or anything and obviously I haven't done as much research (laughs) as these guys have uh in guys like Darnold I just don't see if you are an NFL GM you've been holding out on me man man I should I I should be going places right now but just looking at his numbers 45 touchdowns and 39 interceptions in three seasons with the Jets and obviously we know how bad that organization has treated him and how 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 poorly the pieces around him have been positioned but I just don't I don't see it with the or the Panthers I just don't see it working out I feel like they could have gotten somebody that's a little bit more steady a little bit more consistent and doesn't have so much potential to go wrong all of our points here are based on the fact that we don't believe that Sam Darnold is going to amount to what people thought he would coming out of college which is a shame because I really liked watching him in college if things do work out for the Panthers though if he ends up being their franchise quarterback of the future they win this trade right 100 100 because they didn't give anything away to the jets that i think turns the jets organization around it just contributes to it right but taking potential aside just looking at this trade on paper 
the the Panthers lost this trade. And the mo- right now, in this moment, the Panthers lost this trade. Now we may see that change down the line. I think but it's just too the, early to say that. I just well look at look at the numbers. Look at what this quarterback that they traded for has done in the NFL. He's not yeah. played well. So just on way the way it looks now, it looks like it wasn't a very good trade, but it may turn out to be something good down the line because Darnold still has that potential. I just we just haven't seen it yet. You're just betting that Carolina, it's not going to work out for Sam Darnold. Yeah, just based on what I'm seeing right now, I just I'm I have a very hard time going out on a limb and saying Darnold will perform the level that the, the Panthers believe that he will. Sure, and it's hard for quarterbacks to like Sam Darnold's not a top ten quarterback. It's not a top fifteen quarterback. It's hard to get into that range. It's hard to perform like that in the NFL, and some quarterbacks just haven't. Some quarterbacks don't. And Sam Darnold, through this point in his career, hasn't had it. Is that the New York Jets' fault? Or is that Sam Darnold's fault? We'll find out. I don't know if the Panthers have the greatest track record with quarterbacks either, so it doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence. If Sam Darnold had gone to New England, my whole opinion on this changes. Because I think Bill Belichick at least knows what to do to build a scheme around his quarterback to at least try and help him be successful. So I think part of this is the location, which maybe isn't fair. So time for a Twitter poll here. I've got it up on my account, at Point Gardner. The results have already gone final. But I asked everybody, who would you rather see win the national championship tonight? And we'll we'll preview this national championship later on in the show. But who would you rather see the, win the national championship tonight? Gonzaga, Baylor, or the eye roll emoji? Mainly meant to be there because you're not happy that either of these teams are here. I feel like a lot of Auburn folks, because Auburn played both of these teams this year, really aren't happy about seeing these teams in this national championship and really aren't attracted to this overall national championship matchup but I think by far these are the two best teams in college basketball that's exactly right it's like why how could you be upset with a matchup like you said back in January it's like these teams are on a collision course to play each other because they are by far the two best teams in college basketball scorched earth everyone in college basketball is worse than these two teams literally they are they are on by top, a decent gap probably right exactly they're on top of the world by a very very large gap in my opinion so to be able to see them go head to head in a national title setting it's like why wouldn't you want and that? they've been on the top of the mountain all year long if right. we want to use that analogy because they've been on the top of the mountain all year long as the number one and number two teams in the AP poll the only thing that would have made this matchup better was if Baylor had lost one game in the regular season right exactly just we could have had two undefeated teams battling out for for the the top spot in college basketball and to be the first team since the 70s to be undefeated at the end of a year celebrate the fact that these are not two blue bloods or some teams like duke or north carolina or somebody's Kentucky. getting their first national championship some, tonight somebody's getting their first natty tonight and i'm really excited to see these two really good teams play i don't see i don't see why this is a bad matchup at all did you vote in my poll i did not vote because i was what? scrolling through i didn't see it <laughs> that's okay that's I was, okay i voted gonzaga I voted. I would vote Gonzaga. Yeah, Gonzaga as well. I would vote Gonzaga as well, just simply because I feel like this team has earned it. They deserve with as many games as they win every year, and against good teams too in non-conference play. Not not in the WCC, but in non-conference play, they have tried to challenge themselves and play good teams every year. And it's probably hard to get teams to schedule you if you're Gonzaga, but. I want to see this team join the ranks of college basketball's elite and at least get a national championship so that we can begin talking about it that way. So more of On the Line on the other side of this break. We talk Auburn women's basketball hiring Johnny Harris and some other things going on in Auburn athletics, baseball. We've got it all for you on the other side of this break. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. 
You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Big thank you earlier to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for hopping on the line with us, talking some Alabama spring football. If you missed that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We were going to talk about Auburn women's basketball naming Johnny Harris as the new head coach in that previous segment, but the Sam Darnold news broke about a potential trade to the Carolina Panthers. All that was sources from Ian Rappaport. We were getting that at the top of the hour. Literally waited till we were about to go to hour number two for it to break. So let's move on here to Auburn women's basketball over the weekend on Saturday. The Tigers announced Johnny Harris as the next women's basketball head coach. Lance, how do we feel about this hire? I think I think this it was really important for Auburn to hire somebody with experience in the in this field in for women's basketball. And I think head they got coach experience or just, just just experience. Just a lot of it. And I think they got exactly that in Johnny Harris. You mean a lot of experience though, right? Because just, just experience, I mean, that's a pretty low need, bar to set. You need a lot of experience, <laughs> all right. But just looking at what she's been able to do as an assistant coach. Uh, in women's basketball she was 2018 national assistant coach of the year Uh, she's been an assistant coach over a a course of 16 years at Arkansas A&M Mississippi State uh, Texas most recently currently at Texas so she's just like Harson she's she has experience it's just not at the level that you would necessarily want but I'm still very happy with this hire. By level, you mean head coach. Exactly. She's because, never been a head coach before. Because unlike unlike Harson, she has SEC experience, and I feel like that's very, very valuable. To have Power 5 experience, period, in women's basketball, I feel like that's very valuable. So I'm really happy with this hire. I, I don't think the Tigers could have done much better uh, given given the names that they were going through, hard to convince people right. to come and coach this program at the moment, especially with what what just just historically, just how bad Auburn's been. So I think this is a really good hire. See, but you say that, but you forget that Auburn went to like three straight Final Fours under Joe Champy. That is true. That so is true. you say that this program has fallen from grace. This program has fallen from the top of the mountain, the pinnacle of college basketball. And I think this team used to be like Mississippi State and South Carolina. It's hard for me to reconcile that when I watch 0-18 Auburn women's <laughs> basketball this year and think, man, that happened at one point. Yeah, and I really think Johnny Harris is not necessarily going to get them back to three Final Four trips in a row, but I think she's going to get them back into at least contention, at least go out there and actually compete and not go 0-18 in the SEC. Uh, I think she's going to, like Harson has said, you know, our goal is just to go out there and compete and play with these guys, and if she can get these these kids fired up for what she wants to do in this offense and this defense, because what, what Floyd wanted to do, uh, for so long was just just trap and, and and create turnovers and outside of that there wasn't exactly a game plan I don't feel like but I think with with experience like this throughout the SEC and an assistant coach at, te- at Texas she's going to be able to bring a, a more well-rounded approach to this team and I think that's going to help Auburn in the SEC moving forward she may not have been a head coach but she's obviously well liked because around social media when she was announced on Saturday you could see multiple figures in the women's basketball industry 
giving their congratulations to her, saying that it's well-deserved because she's been a long-time assistant up to this point. She's been a long-time assistant in the SEC. She was at one of the major programs in women's college basketball from 2012 to 2020 as the associate head coach at Mississippi State. So she knows what it's like to run or at least be around a championship-run organization. Because Mississippi State, every year, is one of the best teams in all of college basketball. So she knows what it takes to run an organization that way. I like the fact that they went and got somebody, even though they didn't get a head coach, which, once again, I think it's going to be very difficult if you're Auburn women's basketball to convince. If you're Alan Green, I think it's very difficult to convince someone who's established in women's basketball right now. Even from another conference, I think it is hard to convince them to come to Auburn with where they were at at the moment because why would you leave your situation and risk it all with a with a team that has been average at best when at they've best. been at their best? When they've been at their best, they've been average. When they've been at their worst, they've been putrid. So why would you leave your situation and risk your career trajectory on that? You wouldn't. And so it was likely that Auburn was going to go and get an assistant somewhere. So you hoped that one of two things was going to happen. Auburn was either going to get an up-and-comer from a mid-major like a Troy with Rigby doing wonderful things at Troy. I know that was a favorite name that has came up on several occasions. Or you were going to go and get an assistant that had been at the major programs but had not been given a shot yet. And they've done just that, and they've they've gotten one of the best names that has not been given a shot yet. And at least she's got the experience being around programs that have won on a national level, and she can bring that experience to Auburn. Like you just said, she has what it takes to win just based off of looking at what she was was helping Mississippi State do in her time. And Texas A&M's not a bad women's basketball team either. I mean, four sweet 16s out of the five years that she was there, she helped them get the number two class in the country. I believe her last year. Recruiting is a major point for Auburn women's basketball at the moment. So she can recruit, and then she knows how to win. I feel like this is a really good hire. If If you couldn't get a head coach somebody like Chandra Rigby this was a very very good assistant coach to get I think Auburn did a fantastic job 100% couldn't agree with you more of course this is like the Hubert Davis hire at North Carolina not necessarily that it's an in-family hire because Auburn did go outside the family to go and hire someone they hired they just hired the associate head coach at Texas right but this is similar in that there is still reservations there is still concern that this person has not been a head coach before so there's still a learning curve for them and that's okay it's like you don't everybody needs to have a shot at some point everybody needs to take that next step and I feel like this is a perfect time for her to do that I mean she's been in the game for 16 years at some point she's got to be able to take a step and take a chance with a team like Auburn and see if she can get them going and I believe that she will it's a good fit because Auburn needs the help at the moment and this is her shot she's getting her shot and so you know that she's going to give it her best she's going to give it her all and she's going to be very she's probably going to have an an extremely high attention to detail and that's something that this program needs at this moment they need recruiting obviously you've already mentioned her helping texas a&m bring in at one point the number two overall recruiting class almer needs recruit at this uh, recruits at this point they need a vision and they need promise for the future so i agree with you i think that this is a solid hire i think this is probably about as best as auburn could have gotten on this front considering the nature of the program and the situation that any coach would be walking into at this moment this is huge but i want to bring up an important point about this everybody wants to talk about there's no fan support for auburn women's basketball and that 
that is the fan base's fault and shame on them for all of these things my question to you is does winning or fan support come first and what role does she play in that Mm, that's a good question I think I think winning right now just based off of where this program's at I feel like she's got to be able to win a little bit more than what Flo was able to do last year I think that comes first for right now for season one you got to be able to 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 not go 0-18 I feel like that's the most important thing and then fan support will come after that there are very few coaches out there who can cultivate fan support without winning first Bruce Pearl was one of those coaches and how did he do it he sold people a vision he's a great salesman he's a great recruiter he not only recruited players he recruited people in the community. He recruited the fan base. And he did so by being heavily involved and by being everywhere and being on television and doing all of these different events and giving pizza to students. He became well-liked instantly on campus. And he instantly assimilated into the Auburn community. And Auburn took him in with open arms. The same thing has to happen here if you're going to cultivate fan support for women's basketball, which is, let's just be real, a much harder thing to do than it is for men's basketball that's just me being realistic about that especially if you go and wander into Auburn Arena for a women's basketball game right now and you see how empty it is and so if you want there to be fan support you gotta win not only do you have to win there's got to be some type of you you gotta you gotta you gotta back up what you're talking right but I do think there has to be a similar level of community involvement. And like you just said, it's going to be so much more difficult. you got to recruit fans. Right. It's going to be so difficult to do that for where Auburn is currently at as a program right now. Now, does she have the ability to do that? I believe so, just based off of her track record. I believe she has the potential to do both, not only recruit, but actually win at a consistent level. And this isn't a hot take level. either. This isn't a hot take either. Auburn's school pride for women's basketball right now is at level zero. Right. You are literally starting this thing from scratch. We aren't being negative just to be negative, or we're not trashing Auburn. We're calling it for what it is right yep. now. The program's not performing well, therefore people are not excited about the program. It was the same thing back in 2014, and look at where Auburn is now for, for men's basketball. So I think this is another. This is a really good hire, and sh- uh, Johnny Harris has the ability to turn this program around, both in recruiting, fan support, and winning. But I think she has to win in the SEC this year first. 100%. 100%. I think I think winning is going to do a lot for fan support, but I also think that if she took a similar route, if and not everybody has the personality to do this. That's why I said very few coaches have the ability to recruit a fan base like Bruce Pearl was able to. We'll see if she's able to do that. I'm going to be keeping my eyes my eyes glued right now to these first couple of months of women's basketball or this first season for women's basketball. What type of steps are taken? to try and recruit a fan base because they're, they're, it's twofold. It's more than just recruiting players. It's also recruiting a fan base because that's going to help That's going to help snowball this thing and help build it. The fan base has to be alongside it as well. If you want to see women's basketball be good, part of that is investing in it. Right, and and once you get people actually invested and in you get people coming to the games, it's not only going to support you, it's going to support your players and it's going to make them want to go out there and actually compete and actually show people this is what we're able to do. This is we're able to actually compete with the SEC moving forward. I think this is a fantastic Auburn, or a hire from Auburn and Johnny Harris is going to get the job done. On the other side of this break, we talk the national championship game. Who's going to get the dub? Who's getting their first national championship? Here on the other side of this break of On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
Back on On the Line, Noah Garner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Wherever you're at, however you're listening, call in, 334-321-1390. Find Lance and I on Twitter, at PointGardner, at Intern Jaws. I talked about the Twitter poll briefly to open up our number two here, and that Twitter poll was, who would you rather see win the national championship game tonight that was found on my account at point gardner the results are already final so so sorry if you cannot vote in it but most people 49 percent of folks said that they would rather see gonzaga win that was the number one option number two was baylor with like 30 something percent i think and then it was like 15 percent an eye roll emoji because they weren't happy that either of these teams were there so or maybe they just thought they were being funny sometimes that happens when you don't put all legitimate options into a twitter poll but you know I want Gonzaga to win tonight. I hope that doesn't... I have not decided who is going to win this game. I have not made my pick yet. This is. I, I think this is a very difficult game to pick because finally, Baylor has gotten back to playing their best brand of basketball. And they're shooting the three really well right oh, yeah. now. They're you back. Look Baylor's what, back. Look at what they did to Houston, man. I believe they were first in the country in opponents' true shooting percentage, and then you saw it happen in that first half with Baylor. Yeesh, they are shooting hot right now. Davion Mitchell is playing really, really well. Defensive player of the year, Davion Mitchell? Defensive player of the year, Davion Mitchell is playing really good offense right now, and that's very, very hard to stop. Interesting to see what that matchup with potentially with Suggs will be like. This is a very good game. I'm really excited for it. You guys told me about this during the break. You guys said that this would be the last time that we would get to play the basketball hotkey. I'm going to have to find one for baseball. We'll have to change that up, but Stink, for the last time, this college basketball season not for this year because basketball will be back in november but for the last time of this college basketball season let's hit that hockey for college basketball picks whoop, whoop. that was a little anticlimactic not gonna lie but <laughs> it didn't hit as hard as i thought it was going to I didn't, well it's all right we still got it sting get on the mic with us bud now we've got you intern sting that's right intern stings on the line with us as well but we gotta we've got to try and churn through some time here to get through the whole hotkey right I'm going to ask each of you, what is the most important thing for Gonzaga and Baylor both to do? Like, is something individual for each team. What is the most important thing for each of these teams to do in order to win this ballgame tonight? And then we'll get to picks. Don't give me a pick yet, but what's the most important thing? A key, if you will, well, if we I, want to be cliche. I think for Gonzaga, it's two things specifically. The number one is you got to be able to defend the three-point line with how hot Baylor is shooting right, right now. Well, you know what? <laughs> Let's leave it at that. I'm going to say... Gonzaga has to defend the three-point line, and that's the bottom line. If they can do that, Gonzaga has a really good chance to win this game. As far as Baylor is concerned, I think you got to be able to play team defense. you got to be able to stop the bigs down low for Gonzaga. Defense wins championships. If you can get that done tonight, you're going to win the basketball game. 65.3 points allowed per game for Baylor. Got a really stingy defense. I think they can. they have what it takes, but we'll just have to see. Sting? For Gonzaga, I don't know. I think... This may not be necessarily the biggest key, but I think that a huge one for Gonzaga is being able to get Baylor's guards in foul trouble and, as a result, you know, Gonzaga get to the line because Baylor's guards have a tendency to accrue some fouls, especially early on. They're handsy. Yeah, and Drew Timmy draws fouls like they're going out of style. (laughs) So... It's the handlebar mustache. It's what, yeah, it's it his, is. It's his magical it's power. It's the power from the handlebar mustache, the playoff beard of college basketball. If he shaves it, he's nothing. So yeah. what's Baylor going to do? 
I think Baylor just has to play their game and make threes because that's, they had to continue to do what they were doing against Houston and just, just do it well. I'm terrified for my bracket. Not that it wasn't already, you know, set on fire or that my dog ate my homework or whatever. Not that after day one I wasn't already like, ah, forget this. But I did pick Gonzaga to win the national title, and I would like to see them win the national title because I would like to see them join the ranks of college basketball's elite. And I think with the national championship and the amount of games they win every year and how relevant they are every year, and these guys have proven they're just as good as North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, even on their best years. They've proven that. They just haven't quite been able to get to the top of the mountain and sit there all alone. They haven't been able to achieve that yet. And as Vince Lombardi said, the one at the top of the mountain didn't just fall there. This Gonzaga team has climbed to the top of it over a long time period under Mark Few. So this game's got me really uncomfortable for Gonzaga. I'm, I'm rooting hard for Gonzaga because they, they didn't play well last time out against UCLA. And I thought UCLA, the average offensive team that they are, I didn't think they would be able to keep up with Gonzaga's brute force with that front court with Drew Timmy and Corey Kispert and then the backcourt of Jalen Suggs. Like, all of these talented players, I didn't think they'd be able to keep up, and they did. And that scares me because you know who definitely can keep up? Davion Mitchell and Teague. And... Baylor and the ability Jerry Butler the ability to shoot the three ball how well they're doing right now like that is is what scares me about this upcoming basketball game for Gonzaga so I'm going to say this control the game if you're Gonzaga play your style don't get out of it don't allow Gonzaga excuse me don't allow Baylor to run you up and down the floor knocking down three after three you got to rebound you got to close out possessions because Baylor's going to attack the glass they're always towards the top of college basketball in terms of offensive rebounding numbers so make sure you clear the glass limit turnovers don't allow them to run don't give them any more buckets than they're already going to get by shooting the three. Auburn struggled with that in the turnover category against them earlier this season. And then dominate the paint. Do what you do well, Timmy. Draw the fouls and make your buckets down low. Dominate the paint. Make sure the only thing that, that Baylor can beat you at, make sure the only thing that Baylor can beat you at, make sure it's just three-point shots. Because if you do that, you're going to have a shot to win this ballgame. You're going to have a pretty good shot to win it. So you're picking Gonzaga to win. Well, I haven't made that pick yet. The thing that Baylor's got to do is not down threes. I I agree with both of you guys. They've got to play their game and hit threes. If they're not hitting threes, they lose this game because Gonzaga is better than Baylor at every single other facet of the game of basketball other than being just a hot team from beyond the arc. Because when they get hot, Baylor is better than everybody in college basketball shooting the three ball. Right, right. Just looking at what Gonzaga is able to do from an efficiency standpoint, first in the country in field goal percentage at 55%. That is absolutely insane. This team averaging 91.6 points per game. I mean, they almost look unstoppable. But you saw how they played against an average, what I feel like was an average all-around UCLA team just a couple of days ago. I think UCLA just happened to get Gonzaga on an off day, and they were also just happened to be playing the game of their life. I mean, you don't go 12 of 18 in, in 29 points if you're John I don't think they got Jujang. Gonzaga on an off day, though. Gonzaga still scored 93 points. I mean, it's, it's it seems like they scored every time they touched the ball. It's still, it's still. I don't feel like UCLA is necessarily a, a good defensive team. So I, That's a good point. Kim Palm rankings don't have them there. So I, this is a toss-up game for me. I don't really know which direction to go. It could go either way. It just depends on the first 10 or so minutes of this game. I, whoever gets into their flow first probably going to win. I just have a really tough time picking this. Pick it. It's time. You can't say uh, <laughs> can't, draw. You can't cop out here. Yeah. Boys, I'm going to go with Baylor. I'm going I'm to ride the it. trend. I'm going to ride the trend. I think Baylor's hot. 
I think they'll be able to, to exploit some things that the Zags have been able to do so well this season. I think they're going to be able to stop them down low. I, I'm going to go with Baylor. I'm going to go with hot, the hot hand. Sting. All right. Well, I don't know. I, for a lot of the same reasons, I'm not totally sure. You talked sure. a big game about him picking I, it, and now you're uh, – uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Who you got? Well, I mean, I don't know. Just thinking – I think I'm going to go with Gonzaga because... I like it. And I, th- I think that foul trouble thing is going to be huge uh, for Baylor. I think Timmy is going to get down low and draw the foul on Baylor's guards and force them to play I think there's a mismatch down and, low. Yeah, I think there is a mismatch down low. Absolutely, Baylor is yeah. so guard heavy, and they play positionless basketball for the most part, but their front court only exists, and I don't even know how to pronounce the name. I, I, I know I got Uyagala Lele good earlier, but th- this is not one. It's like Chamba Chachua? Is that- I'm not sure, but I know who you're talking about. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, I, I think Gonzaga will win, but honestly, if we get a game like we did Saturday night between Gonzaga and UCLA, I'll be satisfied. I'm going uh, to do my best on this care. game. I am, I am intent on making sure that I at least try and get it here. Okay, Chamwa Chachua. I think I did get it right the first time. Yeah, I think you're pretty spot on. Matthew Mayer, remember the name. He's going to have a Dante DiVincenzo-type performance coming off the bench for Baylor. He's dangerous off the bench. The leading – I bring up Chamwa Chachua because he's the leading scorer of the front court for Baylor, and he averages 6.4 points per game and only 5.1 rebounds per game. He's the second leading rebounder on the team as well. That That doesn't jump off the page. I'm taking Gonzaga as well, and after I've thought about it for a couple of minutes here and had you guys say some things as well, I feel actually pretty confident about it. I think this Gonzaga team is going to be able to control the tempo pretty well. They're going to rebound. They're going to dominate down low. It's a mismatch. Baylor's got no answer for the post play. I think Gonzaga has an answer for the three-point shooting. Yeah, I agree. But I don't think Baylor has an answer for Gonzaga's play down low. Right, I feel like I agree with you. I feel like it's somewhat of a mismatch down low, but I got to ride with the hot hand. I got to ride with the team that's shooting hot right now. And they are hot right now. And and Gonzaga's not been playing fantastic as of late. I'm just going to go with the trends, although Gonzaga on paper is the better team and it's a mismatch. I got to go with Baylor. I think the paper champion becomes the actual real national champion. So I'm, I'm going to go with Gonzaga as well. And that was our last picks of the college basketball season. We got two Gonzagas to one Baylor. We will see how it shakes out after tonight, which it starts late game tonight. I'm glad that it's late, though. Yeah, East Coast people are like, oh, my goodness. I even think some Central Time Zone people are like, oh, my goodness. They're going to be asleep at halftime. Like, it's going to be two and a half. It's going to be almost two and a half hours when you add in halftime. That's fair. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. The 820 part does change the dynamic a little bit, considering it also, you know, if it had started at 8, I would agree with you. You might be done by 10. But with halftime and all the commercials that they're going to tack on to it, and then the one shining moment montage, they're going to reach, they might get to 11 o'clock. I'm curious, guys. Do you think this game's over by 11? Mm. That's another pick. We'll Everybody pick. place your bets. <laughs> Depends if they go to overtime. Oh, if they go to overtime like like then it's eleven thirty, like gracious. Uh, no, I think that I think the game will be. I think it'll be over by eleven. I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say yeah. That's probable. I'll, I'll say t- yes as well. I also really wish that this game was on the weekend because if it was on the weekend, the time that it started wouldn't matter. It's always on a Monday, though, my friend. It always is. Always on a Monday. 8.20 tonight on CBS. Gonzaga Baylor National Championship. We wrap up the show on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line.
On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 1067. Wrapping up on the line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Just a moment, we'll get to what's on TV tonight, but recapping some news earlier, Sam Darnold potentially being traded to the Carolina Panthers. That was some NFL news that came up today. Also, North Carolina on the verge of hiring their new head coach, Hubert Davis. So we will come back and we will wrap up the show in just a moment. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Monday means music on network television. American Idol contestants are performing for their last shot at making it to the live shows. Catch that at 7 on ABC. Also at 7, but on NBC, the voice is in the battle rounds as artists go head-to-head in hopes of advancing in the competition. Movie selection for tonight, Shrek 1 and Shrek 2 is on Freeform starting at 5.50. In live sports, the NCAA tournament has reached the pinnacle tonight with the national championship game. Two one-seats collide for the first time since 2000. 2017, Baylor and Gonzaga battle it out to decide who's the best with tip-off at 820 on CBS. Get warmed up with some NBA action on NBA TV with the battle for New York. It's the Knicks versus the Nets on at 6. If you'd rather watch baseball, there are two games on ESPN. At 610, AL East rivals meet for their first series of the season. It's the Rays and the Red Sox. At 910, the White Sox and the Mariners will close out tonight. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up the show here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Also on Facebook, you can watch the show now on the various Facebook pages, Radio Alabama Sports, ESPN 106.7, and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Following the first series of the season, and we're going to welcome Sting back into the show. Big time baseball fan in the room. Helps me outnumber the others in here because Sting and I, diehard baseball guys. Lance, eh. Levi, eh. So happy <laughs> to have Sting joining us back on the line once again. The Braves, after their opening series of the season, they're 0-3. I'm shocked, but also not shocked because I've kind of I've kind of came to expect this. You're so numb to it at this point? I've, I'm, you know, I'm just, I, I kind of expected them to lose opening day, and then they tied the game up and then still ended up losing it. And mm. then after that, I was like, you know, I can say, you know, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for the Braves to get swept here. I don't know. Just something about it. I was like, yeah. Yeah, and I think most Braves people feel that way. I think a lot of them are like, anything can happen. Woo! You know? And then, like, after day one, it's like, oh, here we go again. So, the Braves are 0-3 after opening weekend. Suffered a series sweep to the Philadelphia Phillies. That's a big deal, first of all. I'm not going to say it's a huge deal or anything, but look, like, at some point, it's a slippery slope when you say, ah, oh, there's 159 more games. It's a slippery slope, though, because that was a divisional rival. And who's to say that those three games that you played against the Phillies are any less important than three more or four more that you play at the end of the season? Because at the end of the year, when you're chasing these guys, if you are chasing these guys, you're going to be thinking, man, I could have used two of those games back in opening weekend. So I think at any point, if you get swept by a divisional rival, it's definitely not a good thing no it's a it's a double negative for me and that does not make a positive so (laughs) sting what happened this weekend well i feel like it's really pretty self-explanatory i mean the braves had a lot of strikeouts over this series travis darno and ronald acuna both struck out five times Uh, marcelo zuna struck out seven times i believe between the three of those guys their averages were pretty bad i think darno was the only guy who had a decent batting average he was over 200 for the weekend Everybody, uh, Acuna was, I think, 167, and Ozuna, I believe, yeah. was zero. 
That's not Ooh. funny. That's not good. That's not funny. Yeah, that's not like, good. Man. I'm like, that's not funny. Just don't laugh at that. <laughs> yeah, and then to keep the struggles going, Ozzy Albies and Freddie Freeman had zero hits for the entire series. They were, they were both zero after opening weekend. That'll change. Freddie Freeman will it straighten will, it out. Ozzy Albies, uh, I, I think he'll straighten it out, obviously, and probably, you know, the question is, will it be north of 250, north of 260? That That's where I think you're evaluating Ozzy Albies. And last year for... Acuna he wasn't that great either he wasn't overly consistent at the plate he wasn't a stalwart at the plate so I, I you know it was a disappointing weekend for the Braves at the plate outscored nine to three across the whole weekend pitching wasn't bad though for the Braves it wasn't no, yeah, no yeah pitching yeah, wasn't, wasn't bad wasn't for the terrible. Braves you averaged giving up three runs a game but right, you no, that's unfortunately only averaged one game uh, only one win. run a game at the plate if you give up three runs in a game you should probably win I feel yep. like 100 yeah. mm-hmm. percent Phillies revamped yeah, for sure. That, that's the other thing, too, is like it's really easy to say, oh, well, the Braves just couldn't hit. And that's, I feel like that does a disservice to the Phillies because the Phillies pitching was incredible this weekend. Still, I mean, you expect at least one of those games to break through at some point, right? Right. This is Major League Baseball. These are all professionals, and the Braves were one of the better offensive teams over the last couple of years. Yeah, but... I'm not reading too much into it. And Braves fans out there may be thinking that I'm reading too much into it. I'm not. I'm just saying, poor start to the season. Maybe as poor as as i don't know if there were few teams that were much poorer than the braves this opening weekend that's fair to say probably not yeah but i I mean the phillies starter starting pitchers they combined for one walk in three games that is exceptional auburn baseball could take a note yeah struck out 24 (laughs) batters one walk just 11 hits allowed in three games and then probably the most dramatic improvement, though, still is the bullpen. The Phillies' bullpen had a 7.06 combined ERA in the 2020 season. They gave up no runs in this series. I just looked up another fun fact here, which I agree with you. It would be discrediting the Phillies pitching staff and the accomplishments that they had this past weekend, shutting down the Braves to say that it was all the Braves for not hitting, but... There was only nobody that played this weekend. I have to say nobody that played this weekend because two teams did not play. But nobody that played across opening weekend scored fewer runs than the Braves. The Braves had only three runs in their three games. You then look at the Red Sox. They're the next closest. They only scored five. And then the Yankees, which this is shocking to see them one and two after the weekend because a lot of people think that this Yankees team could finally get to the World Series and win one. But it is still early with the Yankees being one and two. Once again, it's still early for everybody. Nobody's out of this. The Orioles are three and zero. Oh. This is <laughs> this is not going to last, right? The Yankees will the Yankees will make it to uh, will probably make it to the playoffs, you know. But they they only scored eight runs, and so the Braves scored substantially fewer runs than most teams that played this past weekend. Hey, I'm curious who's at the top of that list for runs after the first weekend. Uh, I'm assuming it's the Astros by that smirk that you have on your face. I'm not sure exactly <laughs> if it is, but I know exactly how many they scored this weekend. They scored 35, and I do not see anyone else. 35? Yes, they yeah. did score 35. I believe they scored eight Across runs. four games, though. They played four yeah, games yeah, so far, and they scored series. 35. So, yeah, that, that's fair. It was a four-game series. Still almost nine Oakland runs. Right now, with Oakland right now with the football score, 35-9 to nine this past weekend. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, man. Yeah, I believe they had eight runs in the first game, and they scored nine runs in each of the last three games of the series. That's insane. A couple of minutes left here in the show. Auburn baseball takes the first game, promising start, loses the last two by both scores of 6-5. to They had a 4-0 lead on the Friday game in game two, and then on Sunday they had a 5-0 lead. Blew both leads, but 
this Auburn team did look like this weekend that considering they're getting more healthy with their pitching staff they do at least look like they're capable of competing with whoever's in front of them because they just played one of the best teams that the SEC has to offer and you look at other teams around them in the bottom of the league Alabama lost two out of three LSU got swept Auburn's not far gone Auburn still has a chance to get back into this thing and I felt like they played like they could compete is this an apparition I don't think so I think I think you're right I think they are getting closer and closer back to full strength I mean I think this team turns it around I've got a hunch I think this team turns it around I think this weekend was a solid step in the right direction I said on the show last week I said look they've got to win at least one for there to be a sliver of hope they don't have to take two out of three against Mississippi State this weekend either they need to at least go out and get one against Mississippi State if they were to take two out of three that's a big big step in the right direction for them by the way Mississippi State swept Kentucky this past weekend Mississippi State's feeling good so that's why it would be even bigger to take the series from right so I, I think just taking one this weekend though still keeps your hope alive from there though moving through the rest of the schedule you got to start winning series mm-hmm. and I think by that point after this weekend Auburn should be at should be close enough to full strength to where they should be able to start doing that and at least get into a respectable point I still think they're very much so vastly maybe that's a stretch but I think they're very much so on the outside looking at them I mean, they've got a losing record at the moment 12 and 13 they're one and eight in the sec i think they're i think they're pretty far away from the ncaa tournament right now they've got a long ways to go but the journey isn't over yet and this weekend at least check the box they're still breathing they're still alive right and looking at that arkansas series i mean those last two games were winnable they had leads they late should have in won. those go- in those games they had 4-0 leads late Auburn should have swept Arkansas this weekend. Last time I was on, we were talking about these games moving forward are winnable. Well, you still got to win them. So Auburn's got to at least get one against Mississippi State this weekend, I feel like. Auburn was two bad innings away from sweeping Arkansas this weekend and only one bad inning away from taking the series this weekend. So they're not that far. And it's not that far from tomorrow. We'll see you guys tomorrow. You know where to find us.